Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 13, lucky number 13 of The Right Take. I'm Eric Lendrum. I'm Jacob Grandstaff. And we unfortunately regret to inform you that uh, although we announced earlier this week that we intended to launch uh, somewhat of an interactive feature here with The Right Take at hashtag AskTRT for those of you who follow us on Gab, we are not able to do that right now because unfortunately there are some issues right now. Gab still kind of building itself up and trying to get back into a uh, better uh, position technologically after the influx of traffic, after the banning of President Trump from all social media platforms. Their search feature doesn't work for some reason. So don't don't ask me. I'm no tech guy. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, but unfortunately, we cannot interact with your questions based on that alone. Uh, but if you want to continue to contact us, you can still reach us via the contact page at righttakepodcast.com slash contact. But sooner or later, we will work on implementing that. And we will work on being able to interact more with you guys here on the show, in addition, of course, to interacting with you guys on social media as we do all the time. So on that note, speaking of some form of social media really or tech really screwing somebody over, oh, Christy Gnome has had a really bad week over this last week. So for those of you who don't remember, so this is the governor of South Dakota. She rose to prominence for giving basically she, she was basically kind of like the political equivalent of an opening act right before a much more famous band she gave the speech that came before president trump's speech is uh, at mount rushmore on july 4th of last year which i think was easily one of his absolute greatest speeches if not one of the greatest speeches in modern history so she came before him on that because you know she's the governor of south dakota that's where mount rushmore is so that's how she became famous and people are like oh this conservative woman this trump supporting woman she's great and christy Nome is the future of the party and, well, things have kind of happened that have completely just derailed her ambitions for 2024 and beyond. Things are going very, very bad for her in the form of the ongoing fight over one of the most hot-button issues in American politics and culture right now. And that is the transgender tranny invasion of women's sports. And uh, you guys all know what this is. So transgenderism is a mental disorder where... People where men believe that they are women and women believe that they are men and they get surgery and all kinds of hormonal, you know, therapy treatments and whatnot, you know, and inject all this stuff directly into their veins to try to become more like a man or a woman. It's, it's stupid. It's anti-science. It makes no sense whatsoever. But I digress. So a number of red states, especially in the South, have been passing bills into law to ban men from competing in women's sports because a lot of these so-called transgender women who are just men claiming to be women, they go on to join women's sports and they go on to just absolutely destroy women's records and beat women in those sports, sometimes actually beat them in the case of those who join a female you know, fighting competitions like MMA and whatnot. And such a bill came across Christy Nome's desk in South Dakota. And she previously had tweeted that she was, quote, excited to sign the bill. She tweeted that. She tweeted that on International Women's Day, you know, so honored and excited to sign this bill. But then the bill arrived at her desk and she... Didn't quite veto it, per se, but she sent it back to the legislature to ask them to do a review of its, quote, style and form. Style and form. Apparently, she didn't like the wording of it, so she sent it back and basically said, ostensibly, the excuse that she has given is, oh, no, no, like, I'm just doing this so that the wording is more rock-solid and bulletproof so that it, it can't be sued, it can't be beaten as easily in a court of law, which, let's be honest, Jacob, we know that the left is going to sue this kind of law no matter what that they're going to file a lawsuit that's what they do whenever a law is passed that they don't like on immigration or stopping voter fraud or the tranny stuff they sue and they just keep suing until they either win or they just keep suing over and over again because that's all they know how to do so 
a lot of people started calling her out for that, you know, especially as a woman to basically sacrifice women's sports like this, especially when it was revealed she actually did this at the behest of corporate lobbyists from Amazon and other corporate donors that said that they would not send their businesses and send uh, new facilities or build new facilities in her state if she did this. And another one of these corporate interests was the NCAA. That's the National Collegiate Athletic Association, which basically said that they would bar South Dakota women's sports from competing in national, regional and national championships if they pass this bill. So that's her excuse, of course, but it's an excuse that doesn't fly with a lot of people because, you know, at the end of the day, this is the right thing to do. She should have done the right thing rather than cave to corporate interests. And she made the mistake. I can see why she did this, but she still made a mistake nonetheless of going on Tucker Carlson's show to explain why she did this. And, oh, this was, let me tell you, this was brutal. This was the good, righteous kind of brutal, though. This was, like, even worse than when Tucker had on Indiana Senator Mike Braun. You remember that guy, Jacob? I do, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he openly, explicitly said from Congress that he supported Black Lives Matter's push to defund the police in the midst of the, while the country was still burning in the summer of last year with the race riots, and he roasted that guy and just tore him apart and humiliated him. This was even worse because, I mean, A, he holds nothing back. B, Christy Nome actually had presidential ambitions, as we said. She was eyeing 2024 or a VP slot for Trump if Trump runs or otherwise running on her own in 2024. This interview was absolutely fantastic. Because what it would do is it would put a law on the books that would allow the NCAA to take punitive action against our state. And we're a small state, Tucker. Uh, We've had to fight hard to get any tournaments to come to South Dakota. When they took punitive action against us, we would have to litigate. And legal scholars that I have been consulting with for many, many months say that I would very likely lose those litigation efforts. And I don't think oh, that so families you're saying, in so South hold on, Dakota, just to be clear, it's I not the bill. That you're saying have to sue that the... many times over and over again. But wait, wait, wait. So you're saying the NCAA threatened you and you don't think you can win that fight. They said if you sign this, we won't allow girls in South Dakota to play. And you don't think you can win in court, even though the public overwhelmingly supports you nationally. And so you're caving to the NCAA. I think that's what you're saying. Oh, just absolutely humiliated. And throughout the interview, she just kind of gets more and more like, no, Tucker, no, no, that's not what I said. And like, that's exactly what you said. All right. You... She, she knows that she's caught in a corner here and can't justify this. But, it, but it, the thing is, even whenever it comes back to her desk, she's going to have to sign it eventually. She's not going to be able to keep sending it back to the legislature, and the NCAA isn't going to be okay with anything that she signs. So she's nope. going to get sued. Like you said, exactly. eventually the lawsuits are going to come. Like it's not it's not avoidable. It's delaying the inevitable. Yeah, she just I don't, this is just really cheap. Again, caving – and we know what it is. There are multiple articles on this. We'll post some in the description that corporate interests – asked for her to not do this and of course that's she too this is kind of like what you were saying last week when we talked about greg abbott you know going after gab for no reason at all because he wants to pander to the big tech companies like amazon and the rest that don't like gab because he can then say oh i created jobs in texas i brought all these jobs to texas it's the same with christy gnome in south dakota even though does a state like south dakota really even need Big tech. Do they need another Amazon plant in South Dakota? Do they really? I, I don't think so. No, they're but. doing. They're well. They're doing just fine with uh, with fracking. They were at least until Biden until got elected. Biden so I wonder. I'm power. kind of wondering how that's going to go. But uh, we saw this. We saw something similar happen um, this past summer in Mississippi. The NCAA pretty much held a gun to Mississippi's head and said, "You are going to change your state flag." Or we're going to – because you got – obviously you got the two schools, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, who are part of the NCAA, or we're going to take punitive action against you. I think one of the things is they weren't going to hold any bowl games. They weren't going to let Mississippi teams go to a bowl game or whatever. I don't remember what exactly they were threatening. But the correct action, the correct reaction to that 
would have been for Governor Tate Reeves to say, "Okay, well, we'll hold a debate on the flag in our legislature. I'll call for a debate, but we're pulling out of the NCAA because those those are state schools. Ole Miss and Mississippi State are state schools. He could have said, we're going to pull these schools out of the NCAA. We had no team from Mississippi will participate in the NCAA. These are going to be independent schools like Notre Dame. And that's the you have to you have to push back. You have to sanction the corporations. You have to sanction the entities. You cannot allow your state. You can't allow a court. I mean, the the very idea that the NCAA would tell a sovereign state that they have to change their flag and that the governor would give in, that the legislators would give in on that. It it just shows our country is completely dominated by corporations, by billionaire elites. They're the ones who decide what policy is what the states are going to have. The states really have no democratic will anymore. Yep, corporate fascism is basically what it is. Right, same with Mike Pence in Indiana before he became vice president. Remember the, the religious freedom? Yep, Act, he, yep. he went and uh, he caved. I mean, he they eventually he eventually signed something that was watered down. But the thing is, that was a test case. <laughs> the, the thing is, Mike Pence in Indiana, that was the test case to see how well – because before then, corporations had never done anything like that. That was when corporations were finally saying, hey, you know what? We're going to see if we can force this Christian conservative governor in Indiana, a conservative state like Indiana, to do what we want legislatively. And if we can succeed here, we can succeed anywhere. And they've proven they have. Yep. Corporate interests really do rule over this country. And that's one area in which the lefties are actually, I guess you could argue that they are right, you know, that the corporations have a lot of power, a lot more than we should really care to admit or would like to admit. And another one of those corporate interests, of course, in addition to, I guess, letting trainees compete in women's sports, is bringing in as much cheap labor as possible in the form of illegal immigration. So, Jacob, what's the latest for us on the immigration front today? What are you talking about? There, there's, no, there's nothing going on on the border. There is wait, no. Wait, hang on. So, oh, I'm sorry. That might have been. I might have read that on Gateway Pundit. That might just be a conspiracy. Yeah, theory. it's a conspiracy theory. This is this is something that right wingers are claiming. There's a border surge. We go to the Washington Post. This is um, there. It says there is no. This is a headline from the Washington Post. There's no migrant surge at the U.S. southern border. So Who there, wrote there, that? Jen Psaki. Uh, they actually don't have a. Oh, Tom Wong, Gabriel DeRoche, and Jesus Rojas Vinsor. Wow, it took three people. It took to three write people that to write that headline. Yeah, That's so, impressive. Yeah, so there is. Yeah, so there is no surge. It's just, How many Washington Post writers does it take to screw in a light bulb? <laughs> Well, the thing is, that, well, they claim it's just a, a small little bump. Then we have we have you know a small bump after Biden got elected. But the reality is, there were hundreds of thousands of people along the border who were just waiting for Biden to get elected president, and they heard his rhetoric about you know stopping putting kids in cages, and they assumed that that meant that they would have free reign to come into the United States as economic migrants claiming asylum, and that he would just open the the gates wide and let them come in. And really, that's what Biden's base wants. They just want – they don't believe in borders. They don't believe that the U.S. border is legitimate, and so they just want to throw open the gates. And what's interesting, if you actually um, look at what the Biden administration, Biden himself, have said on the issue, they, there really is no difference between the radical left who believe in no borders and the Biden administration. The, the uh, secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, he said, quote, we are both a nation of laws and a nation of immigrants. He said that is one of our proudest traditions. And then Biden himself, in response to the border crisis, he said in January – I don't remember the exact tweet, but he tweeted out, I'm going to change the policy of the Trump administration. The, what we've been doing is not in alignment with our values as a nation of immigrants. If you go to the Biden-Harris campaign website, the Biden plan for securing our values as a nation of immigrants. And if you, the headline doesn't say the Biden plan for securing our values and our borders. 
as a nation of immigrants. Borders doesn't enter into the equation. There's no mention of borders. It's just securing our values as a nation of immigrants. But the thing is, he, whoever is running the Biden administration, which it obviously is not Joe Biden, but whoever is whoever's calling the shots, they are very uh, they're, they're not pulling any punches. They are taking the progressive agenda as serious as Donald Trump took his position on trade. So Donald Trump did not equivocate on his position on trade. That's the way these people are taking their position on immigration. So on this page, on his uh, campaign webpage, he says Trump has waged has waged an unrelenting assault on our values and our history as a nation of immigrants. So Trump's desire to secure the border, to build a border wall, to stop illegal immigration—that is an unrelenting assault on our values and our history as a nation of immigrants. He says it's wrong and it stops when Joe Biden is elected president. Unless your ancestors were native to these shores or forcibly enslaved and brought here as part of our original sin as a nation, most Americans can trace their family history back to a choice, a choice to leave behind everything that was familiar in search of new opportunities and a new life. Joe Biden understands that this is an irrefutable source of our strength. Generations of immigrants have come to this country with little more than the clothes on their backs, a hope in their heart, and a desire to claim their own piece of the American dream. All right, there's a lot, of, a lot to unpack in this. Original okay. – first of all, I just got to say original sin. Again, putting it in religious terms, yes. you know, equating it to the fall of man you know, with the Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, but also the really in-depth, if we're going to nitpick here. Technically speaking, even the so-called Native Americans are not native here. They migrated over the land bridge that used to exist between Alaska and, uh, and Russia. So right, right. Technically, nobody's native to America when you think about it. But you- the, the, wor- the wording on this – and this is something I've noticed not only about his campaign website, but uh, Jen Psaki, the, the wording that she uses, the, the wording that people like Mayorkas and uh, they, that they use whenever they give statements. You would recognize a lot of the terminology that they use is not terminology that the man and woman on the street would recognize or understand, but it's terminology that every single liberal arts professor in America knows. And we're going to get to this later on when we get to our featured topic, this this kind of language. Unless your ancestors were native to these shores or forcibly enslaved and brought here as part of our original sin as a nation, most Americans can trace their family back to a choice, a choice to leave behind everything that's familiar in search of new opportunities and a new life. So this is just red – this is red meat to his base, and the base is obviously the liberal arts community. The professors, the liberal arts graduates who work in government, this is the, the base of the Democratic Party. Now, unless your ancestors were native to these shores, like you mentioned, you're, he's referring to the Indian tribes as native to these shores or forcibly enslaved and brought here as obviously talking about the African slaves as our original sin as a nation. Now – Slavery – correct me if I'm wrong, Eric, but slavery began before the United States became a nation. I mean I'm pretty sure ancient Egypt from where the Hebrews originally escaped to be the Exodus, I'm pretty sure that did come before the United States of America. I might be wrong about that But though. slavery on, in this land, in North America, it existed before the United States became a nation. Or oh. did we start that up in 1776? Oh, yeah. Ask the uh, ask the victims of the Aztecs uh, how, if there was no slavery and no persecution in the Americas prior to the, the white man coming over here. Right. And even the – I mean even the Africans themselves, they were already here when we started the United States. When the United States was started as a country, they were already here. They Like their ancestors had already been brought here under the British Empire. So when he says that is our original sin as a nation, is he considering us as part of the British Empire? 
I mean, it's almost like, are we still part of the Commonwealth? That that seems to be the implication. Well, from all the coverage of the Meghan Markle thing, you would think we're still part right. of the British. You would think we were still part of the British Empire, but this seems to be the implication. It says most Americans can trace their family back to a choice, a choice to leave behind everything that was familiar in search of new opportunities, uh, to li- in search of new opportunities in a new life. So this is, again, this is kind of harking back to the Ellis Island narrative. So most Americans, if you weren't an African slave and if you weren't, aren't a Native American Indian, then you came here because your ancestors decided to make a choice to leave everything behind in search of new opportunities and a new life. Here's the problem I have with that narrative. So people say we're all immigrants. They claim that everyone is an immigrant. and the Nation claim, of immigrants. Right, the nation of immigrants. And the, the, the idea behind this is that if you descend from immigrants, you are an immigrant. So you're not native to the United States like a German is native to Germany or a Chinese person is native to China. The problem is under the British Empire, if a person moved from England to Virginia, that was the same as moving from New York to California or Massachusetts to Ohio. Or even if you want to get more technical about it, moving from New York to Puerto Rico, moving from New York to Guam. So it wasn't – if you move from one section of the British Empire to another, especially when you consider that Ireland was technically a colony of England at the time, if you were an Englishman living in Ireland and you moved from Ireland to Virginia, you were just moving from one colony of the, of the British Empire to another colony. You weren't an immigrant. You weren't immigrating to another country. And people will make the argument, well, the English weren't immigrating to the Native Americans' countries. But the only way that you could be considered an immigrant to an Indian tribe is if you actually joined the tribe. So if you joined – if you left by – and there were lots of Englishmen who did this. Like they would go – they would marry Indian women. They would join the tribe. They would adopt their culture. They would basically just leave their life as Englishmen behind. They would just go join the tribe. In fact, a lot of the warriors and chiefs, many of them were like three-fourths Scottish. So that, that happened, but those people would be immigrants because they immigrated into a new nation. The people who moved to Virginia and settled Virginia or any other colony, they weren't immigrants. They weren't immigrating to a new nation. They were settlers and conquerors. Now, whether you agree with their decision to settle and conquer North America, that's you know that's a different matter. But to call them immigrants is simply factually incorrect. The people who founded the English-speaking people who founded the United States of America were not immigrants; they were settlers and conquerors. So that's why the nation of immigrants myth is just that; it's a complete myth. This was started by John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy coined. I don't necessarily know that he coined this term, but he popularized it. As a nation of immigrants, and John F. Kennedy notably was not that far removed from Irish immigrants. So this was an issue back then that's no longer an issue today. A lot of a lot of Irish, you know, didn't really feel they fit into the country, and so by saying claiming we're all nation or just a nation of immigrants, it basically put everyone on an even playing field. So you could still hold on to your identity, like your your foreign identity, and still claim equality with Americans who trace their ancestry back to. The, you know, back to before this, the founding of this country. But the proper view of immigration in any country, United States or anywhere, is sure. If you want to come here, that's fine. But we expect your you to you know your kids and your grandkids to be Americans. Like we don't want a bunch of people coming here from Italy or Germany or Ireland and their great 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 grandkids to still identify as Germans, Italians, or Irish. No, no, no. They can you know they are because they were born in that country, but their descendants. We expect them to be Americans because we don't want a balkanized, you know, ununited country. And this is the whole – but the Biden administration, the progressives who fuel his administration, his progressive base, they're perfectly fine with a balkanized country. In fact, they welcome it because they see this as a way to gain electoral power. If you can balkanize the country, if you can treat us all as immigrants, then people like us who 
claim to be ethnically American, we're on the outside because we don't see ourselves as immigrants. We see ourselves as native to this country. We see ourselves as Americans, nothing else. Like we don't identify as white. We don't identify as Germans. don't identify as English. We're just Americans. And so this is, this is a very smart political move. But also it allows them to bring in new voters because if we're a nation of immigrants – and this is another mistake that a lot of conservatives make. They'll say, oh, well, we're a nation of legal immigrants. OK, well, these migrants that are coming across our border right now, they're coming legally. They're not coming illegally. They are claiming asylum, and under, under our laws, that's legal. They just have to go to court. Now, whether we decide to let them into the country or not, that's a, that's a judgment call, but they're coming legally. So these people who claim, well, we're, you know, we shouldn't be letting them in because we're a nation of legal Im- immigrants, well, even if that were the case, by that reasoning, then everyone everywhere in the world is a potential American. Because if we're a nation of immigrants, then if people come here, then they can be Americans. If they're living in Pakistan or Brazil or wherever, they are potential future Americans, and we shouldn't treat them any differently than we treat Americans. So this is, this is a dangerous, dangerous trap that the right falls into by trying to make a distinction between legal and illegal immigration. And immigration policy in any country should benefit the people in the country, like the, the citizens. So if our immig- the amount of immigrants that we take in should benefit us. And if you're taking – if you're assuming the position of the left that we're a nation of immigrants, you've already lost the debate. You can't win at that point. And so th- this is the thing. If the, if the right wants to win on the immigration argument, you can't differentiate between legal and illegal immigration because when 50 illegal immigrants come here and 50 legal immigrants come here, it's still 100 people that you're adding to the workforce. The question isn't are they legal or illegal. The question is what effect is this having on our country? Can our country – Absorb these people, not only economically, but culturally. This is this is another thing. Do we want a country in 50 years that our ancestors wouldn't even recognize? Uh, do we want a country in 10 years that we wouldn't recognize? Like I'm fine with anybody coming here from anywhere in the world as long as they raise their children and their, eventually their grandchildren, their children raise their grandchildren to be Americans. When we had immigration like 100, uh, 110 years ago was slightly higher than what it is now. Even back then, it was getting to the point where Americans were like, OK, well, we got to we got to put the brakes on this because a lot of these groups are coming in here and they're basically just forming ethnic enclaves. And then their kids are forming gangs and they're fighting each other in the streets and then they're voting as political blocks. And instead exactly. of having, right, you know, instead and of it, having a democracy, now you've we got. We saw street brawls between Daniel Day Lewis and uh, Liam Neeson. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So instead of having a demo- healthy democracy where politicians try to get the votes of the citizens, you instead just had power brokers who in smoke filled rooms just met with the leaders of the ethnic groups and like, OK, we'll give your ethnic group this. We'll give we'll make make concessions to concessions to groups. And then the, the group leaders just went and got their people in line and they went and voted as a block. That, that's not the kind of kind, – that's an empire. That's what you have in a democratic empire. And that's what kind of what the left is wanting to create by just throwing the border op- uh, the borders open, allowing anyone and everyone to come here. But the thing is you can't – if you're going to win the argument on immigration, you first of all have to establish are we a legitimate country? If our ancestors came here illegitimately and stole this land, we're not an illegitimate country. And we should allow anyone and everyone to come here. We should throw open the borders. And I remember um, just just to close on this one point on this, and then we'll move on. Um, I remember there was a video of Van Jones went down to Texas, and he was going to try to talk to some people to try to understand what kind of psychopaths would vote for somebody like Donald Trump. 
So he's driving around, big pickup truck, I guess, trying to fit into Texas or whatever. Just just stuck out like a sore thumb. Thumb, as you can tell, he's a city slicker. Wearing but a he, cowboy hat, probably. <laughs> well, no, it didn't quite go that hard, but it was just kind of. It was kind of I think he's. Uh, but anyway, so he's driving around. He picks up uh, picks up this redneck and he picks up this uh, this is a Mexican. And he's driving around, just talking to him about politics and stuff, and then he's talking about immigration. And he asked him, "Do you support Trump?" And the Mexican is like, oh, no, "Not really." And then he asked the, the, the redneck, do you support Trump? He said, yeah, yeah, I support him. Well, why do you support, uh, support him? Well, I, I think he's building the wall. I think that's a, uh, that's a great idea. He said, well, why do we need a wall? Van Jones is asking, why do we need a wall? He's like, well, we don't want illegal immigrants coming here. And, he, and Jones asked him, well, when white people came here, they didn't care if they were illegal immigrants or not. They just settled. And, of course, didn't know how to respond. It's just like, oh, well, I, I'm fine with them coming. I just want them to come legally. But I was like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. So – He's not Van Jones is not wrong. When our ancestors came here, we didn't care if we happened to be encroaching on you know some a tribe's land. If they came and said, "Hey, you're on our land," would be like, "Okay, well, can we buy the land?" Usually, that that would there would be a transaction. And then as white people increased in numbers, eventually there'd be encroachment. Many times there'd be a war. Obviously, the technological differences, the whites would always win. And usually, the treaties would be would favor. The, the the British who eventually became or the Americans. So Van Jones is not necessarily wrong in in that assessment. But the question is, do we want our country to be treated and conquered the way that the Indian tribes were conquered? You know, Van Jones would argue it's only fair. You know, we did that to other nations. We should allow other nations to do this to us. So if you're going to argue against you, you, you can't really make the argue, argument that, well, legal immigration is fine, but illegal immigration is OK. It's, it's kind of – it ends up having the same effect. We need to have an immigration system that benefits native Americans, native-born American citizens. But right now we've got like a million two, a million three hundred thousand who come here every single year. That's encroaching on like 50 to 60 percent of our birth rate. That's insane. That is an insane level of immigration. And it's no wonder why you've got such vast amounts of wealth inequality and income inequality when you're inviting the third world to come take the service jobs because where are the Americans going to work who would work those service jobs? Many of them are just going on welfare. Many of them are just hopping around from job to job. They're getting on drugs because they don't have any way to provide for themselves. They're not getting married. They're not having kids and – or – the, those that actually do want to make something of themselves, they go waste their time in college and they go get a degree that they're not going to use. They get in debt and so they end up having to waste their 20s and 30s paying off a bunch of debt. You need – preferably, in my opinion, we should have an immigration system that pegs the level of immigration to our birth rate. So if our birth rate is – I don't know. Let's say 2 million a year. I have no idea what our birth rate is, but if they'll say our birth rate is 2 million a year – I would say we should have no more than 5% of immigration of our birth rate. So that would be – that would be 100,000. I would say um, – well, one thing, one policy I would change. I try to stay out of the policy specifics because I'm not a wonk by any means. But certainly it has been said you can't have open borders and a welfare state. And back in the 1800s, you know, there were – when there were a lot of immigrants, there was no welfare state. That was another big thing. That was a big difference between immigration now and then. Whereas now we certainly do have what can only be described as a welfare state that prioritizes illegal aliens. And that leads right to the next story, which this one – oh, this one really pissed me off. So I actually wrote an article for this at American Greatness. 
Rite Aid, the pharmaceutical slash kind of all convenience uh, grocery store chain, which was uh, there was one in my hometown. There was one literally a few blocks from where I lived. So I went to Rite Aid often and for ice cream and whatnot. I knew about Rite Aid before I ever knew what CVS was. Rite Aid, the, the chain, had to issue an apology after it denied coronavirus vaccines to two illegal aliens, both women, at separate locations in Southern California. A spokesman for the company said, quote, in such an unprecedented rollout, there are going to be mistakes and there will always be areas for providers to improve. We're seeking out those opportunities every day, end quote. And the statement later went on to say that the employees involved were simply unaware of the correct protocols and would be, quote, re-educated, end quote, re-educated to understand that illegals can receive vaccines too. So this, I mean, I could go on and on about this one, but what really comes down to it, this is what really stood out for me, is that the way in which both of these stories were reported, how they both came to light, to me really highlight everything that is wrong with uh, our illegal immigration system right now and the culture of how we treat illegal immigration. And the first, the first woman who awareness was raised to her case was actually by her son, Sebastian Arajo, I'm probably mispronouncing his name, but who cares, who is, he's her son, you know, she's an illegal alien, but he is her son, it doesn't say he's an illegal alien, so he's probably born here, you know, anchor baby, who is currently attending college at UCLA, that's the University of California, Los Angeles, one of the most prestigious universities in the world, and he is studying to become, quote, an immigration lawyer. He took to Twitter to talk about how his mom was treated and then subsequently went back on Twitter to basically say, hey, y'all, my mom's been vaccinated, but I'm still going to fight. He said, quote, would still advocate to make sure that no undocumented individuals are denied a COVID vaccine because of their immigration status, end quote. So what you have here is that's one side of the problem is that these illegals come here and they have their anchor babies who are American citizens because they're born on U.S. soil, which that in and of itself is a problem. Birthright citizenship needs to be changed. But then they come here, and as, quote, American citizens, they go to our universities, they learn off of our taxpayer dollars, UCLA is a public school, and they use our taxpayer dollars and our education and benefits and healthcare and welfare and all that to learn, if you will, to learn how to become advocates for fellow illegal aliens. They use our own resources against us so this guy can become an immigration lawyer, which is basically all they do is just shill for illegal aliens and say, no, no, they have constitutional rights too, even though they're not American citizens. And that is just – and there's a whole generation of those people being raised, especially in California. The second one, the second woman was reported when her employer, a man by the name of Kevin Rager – that's how his name is spelled, R-A-G-E-R – who lives in Orange County, which for those of you who don't know, uh, we'll mention Orange County later in the, um, in the episode. A resident of Orange County, which is a very upper-class neighborhood. The county as a whole, a lot of upper-middle-class, even outright wealthy areas – um, he employs the second woman as his babysitter to work for – to babysit his kids. He said that when he found out that she got rejected, he complained to Rite Aid, and then they subsequently also gave her the vaccination. And he – in response to this in a statement, he said, quote, these questions – referring to immigration status – she was asked for her social security number and was told that vaccine priorities should go to actual American citizens, which is true, but – he then said, quote, these questions shouldn't be asked of any individual and our entire country needs to get vaccinated, end quote. So here he is, you know, basically shilling for an illegal alien because she works for him and saying, oh, no, no, our whole country needs to be vaccinated, even those who aren't here legally, who aren't here, who aren't American citizens. When I thought of this, I, I couldn't help but think back to the article that you and I talked about in the last episode, Jacob, by Barry Weiss at City Journal, where she sat down with a number of uh, 
rich, white, elite families uh, in, in outright wealthy, not even upper middle class, wealthy families in New York and Los Angeles whose kids are in prep schools, sending them on track for the Ivy League universities and are being indoctrinated with critical race theory, white people are bad, all that stuff, and privately oppose this stuff. So I look at this case. This is a guy, Kevin Rager, who lives in Orange County. It doesn't say what he is. I can assume from that name. I'm going to assume living in Orange County, hiring a babysitter. He's probably upper middle class at the low, at the least, probably maybe wealthier. Who knows? And something tells me this guy is probably white. I just I have that feeling. I have that feeling. And the fact that he employs this woman at, to babysit his kids. So obviously his kids are younger. They're they're toddlers. They're they're younger children. So sooner or later, I imagine his children are probably going to end up going to well, – how long is it going to be, Jacob, before his kids go to a school, middle school or high school, that is also teaching critical race theory and teaches them to come home and say, Daddy, I found out I'm a racist. And then he, he is going to eventually end up in the same camp as those families in the Barry Weiss article and realize, oh, no, I, I don't want my kids on my taxpayer dollars. Well, what, what it amounts to is a lot of these wealthy white folks, they care more about their social – like we mentioned last time, they care more about their social standing and their money than they do the country. And this is what happens when you brainwash people to believe that America is just about making money, that all that matters is the dollar bill. And you know, We're a nation of immigrants. We, people come here from all over the world because they want to achieve the American dream. And saving money by employing an illegal immigrant who probably costs a lot less than an actual – American citizen. Exactly. Yeah. Well, well, she's American too. You know, that's the thing. That's she's the, American that's, too. The, that's the thinking. Anyone who is on American soil is just as American as George Washington, and anyone who wants to come to American soil is just as American as George Washington because as a nation of immigrants, it's in standing with our values as Joe Biden would say to let anyone who wants to come here in. And this is this is again, you know, you can't fight this if you continue to cling to the nation of immigrants myth. Either we're a nation of immigrants and our borders are illegitimate, or we're a nation of American citizens, in which case the cleaning lady and babysitting lady needs to be sent back home. And again, he's assuming – a part of me almost hopes that he will get to that stage of the Barry Weiss families just so that he can hopefully maybe have a moment of introspection. Do you think if he gets to that stage, say his kids get older and he realizes this is a mistake, he's going to look back on this in a moment of reflection and realize – oh, my attitude towards illegal aliens directly contributed to this? Or do you think he's just going to be that daft and is going to refuse to see any fault in no, his No, I, th I think it's a lot – I think a lot of white liberals – I think we make the assumption that a lot of white liberals are naive. I think a lot of them are looking at the situation. They're looking at the demographics, and they're making a calculated, strategic decision to join the mob because they want their kids to be treated as the good white people. So to them – you know, defeating the, the, the white people who are the quote-unquote racists who refuse to admit their own racism. Of course, we're all racist if you're white in their mindset. But defeating the white people who refuse to admit their race and repent for being white, that is part of the ticket to the future middle class in these people's minds because they're banking on the left winning the culture war. Yeah. And in that case, you know what? I have no sympathy for this fellow, Mr. Rager, who trusts an illegal alien with, with his kids and – is directly contributing to this. At least the families in the Barry Weiss story are aware of this, and they're 
very uh, anonymously and very quietly, but they're doing something about it more than, than this guy is who is actively contributing it. So best of luck with that, Mr. Rager. You know, I hope it was worth it. You know, I, I really hope it was worth it that you would. And again, even regardless of how you feel about the vaccine, all right? Some people, you know, some boomers will joke, oh, the vaccine's got microchips in it. Give it to the illegal <laughs> aliens. So I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. Like, I'm not going to get the vaccine. I'm not complaining oh. that illegals are getting the vaccine over me. I could care less. But the mindset behind this and the motivations behind it is what speaks volumes more than what the illegals are getting in this. Well, on that note, let's go ahead and jump over to the main topic of tonight. And that, of course, is in the wake of the very tragic shootings. Two big shootings over the last week. One in Atlanta, Georgia. The other in Boulder, Boulder, Colorado. The other in Boulder, Colorado. In Atlanta, eight people were killed. Six Asians and two white Americans killed in a spa in a massage parlor that was shot up by... 21-year-old Robert Aaron Long. And the second shooting in Boulder, Colorado, 10 victims confirmed thus far at a grocery store where the shooter's name is... You guys ready for this? Because you've probably seen a shortened version of this guy's name since it has been reported. His full name, according to the New York Times, is Ahmed Al-Aliwi Alissa. Alissa, something. A-L-I-S-S-A. So that might sound like a traditional girl's name here in America, but that is it's that is most definitely uh, Ahmed Alalui. That is most definitely not. It's not exactly a Hispanic name, Jacob. I think we can. I think it's pretty obvious what kind of a name that is. But this was the funny thing. So a friend of mine told me, I'm not on Twitter anymore, so I can't confirm this. But a friend of mine tells me Twitter, as the sh- Boulder shooting was unfolding, and eventually photos surfaced of the shooter being led away by the police, Twitter erupted because in the video the shooter in Boulder appears to be white and he's being led away by the police he's got a wound in his leg because he was shot in the leg and twitter is just going nuts oh of course he's being taken alive because he's white if he was black he would have been shot and killed on site they would have shot him five times then his name is released to show that okay his skin color may be of a lighter shade but he is most definitely not white in the traditional sense and at that point again my friend who is on twitter tells me this i have no confirmation i'm not on twitter anymore but my friend says twitter just immediately went dead silent (laughs) and they were not talking about the shooter's race anymore if anything they're just kind of going right back to the atlanta shooting well the reddit the subreddit on boulder they won't even let you say the shooter's name oh seriously the mods came out they said like you can't you can't even say the shooter's name and it did only made that rule after the shooter's name was confirmed yeah it was confirmed and that suddenly no then then, of course the argument they make is we want to focus on the victims we don't want to (laughs) give oh yeah oh yeah by all means where where was that in atlanta then right right, yeah they didn't have that rule with the with atlanta Uh, i don't i don't know so i mean this okay there's a lot of layers to dissect here so i mean obviously yes there's a double standard here when you have the one shooting that is committed by a white guy you know 21 year old white guy with a scraggly looking beard he looks he looks like again i hate using this phrase but good phrase to describe him he looks like white trash they're all in on the perpetrator oh this is racism it's an angry white male shooting up asians again two of his victims were fellow white people but i digress so they, they go all off on the, the the perpetrator and oh this is racism this is racism against asians then when you have a shooting like this with a slightly higher body count i should add but it is most obviously an individual with an arabic name i think he actually has been confirmed to be syrian if i recall correctly yes yes and uh, presumably a Muslim family. Th- then suddenly, th- in that case, the coverage goes to the guns. You know, in uh, from the White House, the alleged president of the United States, Biden, 
said, uh, we need to come together. Let's not wait one more minute and ban these weapons. And he uses the same stupid, tired phrases, common sense, gun reform. This ain't a partisan issue. This is an American issue. Like, oh, shut up, Mr. Platitudes. Again, they reminded me of the second debate where Trump called him out for all those pointless platitudes you've heard a million times before. But the double standard aside, it's very clear what they're doing. We've seen this before. When it was the Orlando nightclub shooting, it's about the guns. When it's about you know, the a white man shooting up uh, the Las Vegas, that country music festival in Las Vegas. It's about uh, race. It's exactly, exactly. Or maybe he was a far right nut job. They actually, several uh, so-called terrorists, like uh, databases actually tracked that as an example of right-wing terrorism, even though Stephen Paddock's motive to this day remains unknown. So, but they keep trying to claim it for themselves. Double standards aside, all right, we know the left does this. They have nothing but double standards. That's all they do. That's easy enough to digest. That's That's just par for the course at this point. I think prior to the Boulder shooting, even just irrespective of the Boulder shooting, the strategy going forward for the left and the media, but I repeat myself, was that they really want to use this one, this shooting, this shooting that took the lives of six Asian Americans, I think mostly women. They wanted to use this as a narrative. They wanted to use this to promote their narrative that, oh, there's a spike in anti-Asian racial violence and it's being caused by white men. And it's – they're – I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head if there's been a spike in anti-Asian violence lately. But certain cases that have been cases of racial violence against Asians were not committed by white people. There is uh, one example uh, most recently was the murder of Vicha Ratanapakti, who is an 84-year-old Thai American in San Francisco who's just walking along the sidewalk. I think he was wearing a mask, actually, walking along the sidewalk in broad daylight, minding his own business. And a young black guy just comes up out of nowhere, runs across the street, shoves him to the sidewalk and beats the hell out of him on the ground. And, of course, he dies and the perpetrator runs away. He was eventually arrested, 19-year-old Antoine Watson. But then there were murals and stuff and uh, memorials on social media to this guy, the 84-year-old uh, who was murdered, and like George Floyd-style murals and promotions of a march coming up to a march in his memory where the posters said, March Against White Supremacy. And I'm just like, uh, okay, so I guess this uh, 19-year-old black guy was a white supremacist. Uh, <laughs> another example was in New York City. Narayange Bodhi, a 68-year-old immigrant from Sri Lanka, was just sitting on a subway in New York minding his own business when 36-year-old Mark Mathieu, a black guy, charged up to him and multiple witnesses heard him shout, you motherfucking Asian. And then he just started beating the crap out of him in, in his seat, knocked him to the floor and started beating him and then ran away. And security camera footage caught what he looked like and uh, his outfit, which was described by the witnesses, he was dressed for all intents and purposes, he was dressed like a pimp. He had like a black fedora and a gold chain around his neck and everything. So they caught him and arrested him. And to their credit, he has been charged with a hate crime. So that that's actually kind of impressive considering that authorities in these areas who are mostly leftists will downplay that. In that actually did happen in San Francisco with the aforementioned attack. The district attorney, uh, Chesse Bowden, actually dismissed what Watson did when he murdered the 84-year-old Tide American. He described it as, quote, some sort of temper tantrum, end quote, which obviously uh, – enraged the man's family you know who <laughs> called him out for what it was but you see they downplay it when the perpetrator is clearly obviously and video evidence captures the perpetrator as being non-white they go out of their way to you know dismiss this but and then the left that tries to say oh white supremacist violence is the cause they are shown these things and they just balk they just completely they they back down completely but now we finally have this one shooting where it is a white guy and they have been pouncing on this like crazy. And two examples most recently, Congresswoman Judy Chu from California's 27th district on MSNBC. Our hearts are still broken about the murder of eight people in Georgia. 
eight of them uh, being in these Asian spa businesses and six of them being immigrant Asian women. But actually, this day was coming because it's been a whole year of ugly rhetoric by Donald Trump, who used the word China virus, Wuhan virus, and even Kung flu to describe COVID-19. Okay, so what you have there, obviously, is it, she's saying explicitly, like in no ambiguous terms, Donald Trump is to blame for this because he dared to point out that the Chinese Wuhan coronavirus, Kung flu virus, came from China. Okay, yeah, it's from China. What, what do you want? Like, is that supposed to be racist? That is just that you can tell they were chomping at the bid to do this. And this isn't just some crazy, you know, Democratic congresswoman. Even the White House press secretary, Jen Psaki, basically said the exact same thing. You know, I, I think there's no question that uh, some of the damaging rhetoric uh, that we saw uh, during the prior administration, uh, blaming, uh, you know, calling COVID, uh, you know, the Wuhan virus or other things, um, uh, led to, um, you know, um, perceptions of the Asian American community that are inaccurate, unfair, uh, have uh, raised um you know, threatening uh, have, has elevated threats against uh, Asian Americans, and we're seeing that uh, around the country. Well, the assumption that a lot of them seem to be making is that Americans are too dumb. Even so, let's just, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's say that this rhetoric actually did cause people to want to lash out at Chinese. They're assuming that Americans are so dumb we don't know the difference between Chinese and Asians who aren't from China. Like, even exactly. If that, yeah, like yeah. even if that were true, even if Americans were blaming Chinese for the, the COVID virus, Americans know the difference between when they know the difference between China and Iran. You know, they know the difference between Chinese and Nepalese. They don't. They understand that Pakistanis aren't the same as Chinese. Like this is. It, it's just. Really, it just shows how they view the American people. They they really do think that we're a bunch of dumb peasants who don't know anything. The difference between China and Japan, exactly. So they. You can tell that they've been building this up over the course of the coronavirus. Obviously, they try to say like, oh, no, discrimination. There's even a freaking Wikipedia page for this of a list of hate crimes against Asians due to the rise of the COVID-19 pandemic, like as if, you know, innocent Asian people around the world are taking the blame for the virus. Like, OK, all right, whatever. But they have just been pounding on this nonstop, certainly in Trump's last year in office. But they're continuing to do it. And I swear between those two videos, they even talked these exact same words. They said ugly rhetoric or disturbing rhetoric or referring to how he called it the Wuhan virus. I swear these people share talking points. Oh, of course they do. Yeah. They, I mean, well, the thing is, they are all located in New York City and Washington, D.C. So, you know, they hang out with each other. In the evenings, like they have drinks together, they go to parties together, they they talk regularly. And I think importantly, it has to come down to so obviously we see this line of attack they're going for and they're going after Trump. They're going after his supporters. And basically this is the new thing. You know, they said, oh, Trump's races against Hispanics. He's races against blacks. Now the Asians get their turn. Basically, they're working so hard to portray Trump as literally hating everybody except white people. But I think we definitely need to focus on the motive here. And I'm not talking about the motive of the shooter because that is definitely still up for debate. He uh, – Robert Long, this is the shooter in Atlanta. We have we don't yet know the motivation of the Boulder shooter, although we can make a few educated guesses, but let's not go there for right now. The shooter in Atlanta, Robert Long, has confessed claiming that his uh, actions were due to a, quote, sex addiction. He apparently viewed the uh, – 
the women working at these massage parlors as in a very sexual light that and apparently sexual desires that were in violation of his religious beliefs, supposedly that this is all the rantings of this insane man in, in confessions in police custody. So far, law enforcement, I think, has the local law enforcement, at least, has more or less concurred with this motivation. But of course, the left isn't going to let this go. They're still going to say this is racism no matter what. And the media is actually working overtime to, if anything, the, the whole sex addiction thing has led to a lot on the left defending sex workers and basically saying there's nothing wrong. This is why we should destigmatize prostitution. And I'm just like, oh, OK, all right. That's, they really want to take everything they can get out of this. It, the Washington Post even put out an article basically claiming sex addiction isn't real. And that is an excuse that's been used for acts of violence. Yeah, just like the border crisis isn't real. Oh, uh, yes. Whenever the media says something is not real, it's not real. But the motivations that we should look at here are the left's motivations. And why with this ferocity? Because, again, they were doing this before the shooting. But now the shooting has happened. It's been multiplied by 10. Why are they doing this? Why this obsessive, this deranged push for this narrative of anti-Asian racism from white people? Uh, the first thing, one thing we could look at, and you certainly saw it in those two clips there, and you'll see it in this next clip is I can't imagine for the life of me why, but a desire to defend China so that they want to go out of their way to say China has no responsibility for the virus because people are criticizing, yeah, rightfully so, criticizing the Chinese government, the CCP, and their close ties to the UN and the World Health Organization for the botched handling of the initial outbreak of the virus and their subsequent attempts to spread false information like, oh, the virus is not contagious. Remember early on, the World Health Organization literally tweeted there is no evidence that the coronavirus is contagious. They tweeted that because China told them to. So rightful criticism of China. Oh, that's racist. And this actually, interestingly enough, this goes back to a name we mentioned a long time ago here on The Right Take and a name that has not been relevant for a while. But Andrew Yang, that goofball who seems to think that giving everybody $1,000 a month is a good idea, who ran for president and is now running for mayor of New York City and by all accounts is still the front runner. So best of luck with that, Andrew. He... Back in 2019, you remember in 2019, Jacob, when Yang Gang was a thing? Oh, yeah. And Andrew Yang, strangely, as a Democrat, Andrew Yang, as a hard lefty who supports gun control and universal health care and a lot of other far left issues, he suddenly became the darling of the alt-right because of a single video, a clip, where he talked about how working class jobs were being destroyed by automation. That was one of his big things was automation and technology restoring working class jobs. And he, in this video specifically, said white working class. He referred to the white working class. So th- before you know it, Richard Spencer and all these autists on 4chan are going, oh, base station man, he cares about white people. Yeah, he's better than Donald Trump. Yeah. So then the media started astroturfing Andrew Yang to say, oh, Mr. Yang, you as, a, as an Asian man and a Democrat, you have a lot of white supremacists supporting you. What do you say to that? So then he had to do a 180 and completely virtue signal and bow at the altar of multiculturalism and white people bad by going on this quite strange rant. And this is back in March of 2019. Uh, and who is going to be the boogeyman of the next 10 to 20 years? Who's going to be the great rival to the United States in the eyes of American society? China, that's right. And so what do you think the attitude is going to be over time for the shrinking, insecure white majority that's losing their jobs for, let's say, Chinese Americans or Asian Americans. I, I don't, I'm like, I personally, I said to a group at Harvard, I think we're one generation away from falling into the same camps as the Jews who were attacked in the synagogue in Pittsburgh, like uh, just a couple of months ago. It's like we're probably one generation away from Americans shooting up a bunch of Asians saying, like, you know, damn the Chinese because there, there's a giant Cold War or even more with China. That is the great danger that I fear that my children are going to grow up in. 
So this is well over uh, roughly a year before the Chinese Wuhan Kung flu coronavirus became a thing. And he's you see what he did there? He explicitly said that being skeptical of China, being hawkish towards the rise of China, which is indeed an economic threat to us and arguably a national security threat at this point. If, oh, if you're skeptical towards China, you're a racist. You hate Asians. You know, white people are going to start shooting up Asians because they don't like China, which is just absolutely absurd. Well, but, also, it also shows what they actually think about Americans, like about Americans' common sense. Like most Americans, I mean, there's hardly any Americans who would be that dumb to assume that an American of Chinese descent has anything in common with the Chinese government in the current year. Yeah, and it's just it, it blows my mind because again. All this for China. I can't understand why. Like, I get it. Okay, the left hates America, but why on earth they'd want to go out of their way to defend China? I don't know. But that um, is one possibility, certainly. So that certainly could be one thing. But I think it's certainly, at the end of the day, a much more complicated explanation is even more likely because that's just how the left operates. I think what this is, is the left really wants to go out of their way to bring Asian Americans into the fold of their far left multicultural coalition which in in this current day and age basically just comes down to white people are bad america is racist all that fun stuff and they want to do this because think about this jacob we were talking about this before think about it would you ever really see a lot of asian americans at any given gun control march or women's march or blm riots chanting f the police f trump f white people no no they exactly no they're too busy making money they're yeah exactly this is we'll come back to that in just a moment you would see lots of, you know, mostly angry, fat, white, middle-aged women and mostly the Women's March and gun control marches, but also, you know, mostly black Americans and Hispanic Americans. You wouldn't see a lot of Asians at these things because Asians on average uh, – yeah, like you said, it's true. This is something even Bill O'Reilly said a long time ago. If there is any really a, quote, privileged class in the United States, it's Asians just because on average they have the highest household income. They have the highest test scores. They often have the highest grades in education at all levels. I had a lot of Asian friends at school who were also at the top of my class. This is absolutely true from my experience. They are the smartest. They're the most overachieving group in America. And they are – and for this reason, I think for the longest time, they have been kind of, as far as the left is concerned, a little bit closer to white people than to other minorities in the sense like – again, you look at like the privilege ladder or privilege pyramid or whatever skill you want to use that they are just kind of one or two rungs down from white people as far as the left is concerned. They really want to go for the really the minorities with the really big grievances, whether it's you know the past of slavery and segregation or uh, the problems of illegal immigration. They didn't really care much for Asians. And keep in mind, this is interesting because it's not like Asians are a red block. Asians are still reliably a Democratic voter block. They on average go about two-thirds for Democrats every presidential election. In 2020, they went for Biden 61 to 34. Asian Americans were, after all, pretty much the reason that Orange County, we mentioned it earlier in this episode, Orange County, which despite being in California and on the coast, was a conservative stronghold for over 100 years. In 2018, it flipped 100% blue for the first time ever. Literally every single congressional seat flipped to the Democrats, and it was unprecedented. It was astounding. Asian Americans were a big driver of that, in addition to illegals. But despite being a reliably Democrat bloc, they are, I guess you could say, the least reliable minority of the three big minorities in America, blacks, Hispanics, and Asians. They're the least monolithic, I should say, for Democrats. You know, blacks vote for Democrats like 90%, high 80%. Hispanics, eh, mid-high 60s, maybe low 70s, give or take, on a really, in a really bad election cycle. 
Asians are more likely to be in kind of the mid or low 60s, as that last number from 2020 just shows, 6134. So I think that's one thing is Democrats possibly feel they need to really bring this particular block back into the fold. And the best way to do that is to absolutely radicalize them. They want Asians to be participating more in these kinds of anti-police, anti-Trump, you know, anti-American rallies and sentiments and whatnot. And they feel the best way to do that is to demonize white people towards these Asians and say, hey, you Asians, like, again, Andrew Yang, you should be afraid of white people. You should be, you know, going to these marches saying no more white supremacy in memory of an Asian man who was murdered in broad daylight by a black American. So that is just, again, it makes no sense when you think about it. So realistically, I think they want to pull this group in for, it could be a, a number of things. It could be they either, maybe they're detecting some breaks happening within their own coalition as it exists between certain groups, and they want to bring Asians into the fold in order to buff out these scratches, if you will. Or maybe they're just drunk on power right now and really want to create an absolute bulletproof supermajority coalition that absolutely cannot be stopped. But again, I think this is interesting because most recently, in recent years, they would be willing to more or less lump Asians in with whites. And we certainly saw this. I think a huge development that we were seeing was in college admissions practices. The Ivy League schools, colleges all across the country, but especially the Ivy League schools, will deduct points from the overall final score, from test scores and from overall admissions considerations for white Americans and Asian Americans because they, on average, have the higher test scores, the higher household incomes, the more privileged, if you will, whereas they will artificially boost the scores of Hispanics and blacks to say, oh, you're underprivileged, we're going to give you a few extra privilege points. And this was a big thing. This is one of the big kind of unsung victories in progress that ultimately never was of the Trump administration, that the Trump DOJ, President Trump and William Barr, sued the Ivy League schools, Harvard, Yale, and a handful of others, for these admissions practices, uh, saying, hey, you are blatantly discriminating against Asians and whites. This is in clear violation of the Civil Rights Act and other civil rights legislation. We're taking you to court over this. And it was looking like it was actually going to go somewhere. This could actually be a landmark case in affirmative action, in admissions practices based on race. But unfortunately, like every other good thing that Trump was doing in his final year before the election was stolen from him, Biden came along and seized power. And he turned to the Ivy Leagues and said, nah, you're fine. It'll be fine. Just keep doing what you're doing. We're not going to interfere with you. So the left may or may not have seen a potential here in that – Asians could be gradually peeled away from the left. Again, not necessarily towards the right, but at least away from the left because they could take one look at this and say, hey, clearly they don't care that much about us only insofar as they need more common enemies against white people. You know, and you look at plenty of other examples. I like I like to think if the left tomorrow got its wish, you know, what we talked about earlier and America was a majority minority country, whites were a minority in another 20 years or so, and it was a multicultural utopia. Which group do you think would probably be next on the chopping block for accusations of privilege and you know being systemically uh, privileged ahead of other groups? Oh, it would definitely be the Asians. Exactly. And you saw this even in, in older examples people talk about in, of course, the infamous L.A. riots in the 90s. Yeah, you had, of course, you know, blacks and some Hispanics rioting over the beating of Rodney King. And they did attack white people, you know, like the white trucker Reginald Denny, who was just viciously beaten pretty much to an absolute vegetable just for being white. But even more so than that, you had the Korean communities that were absolutely literally caught in the crossfire of those riots and had their businesses looted and burned and destroyed. Their own people were being killed. It was very much like a precursor to the race riots we saw last year to the point that you had these Asians, these Koreans, these, you know, 
mostly, you know, mild-mannered, you know, soft-spoken Koreans and other Asians buying guns for the first time in their lives and taking up positions on their roofs. We've all seen these famous images of the roof Koreans and pointing sniper rifles off of their roofs aiming at roaming gangs of thugs who might be coming towards their business. And, of course, the, the rioters would see, you know, okay, they're rioters, they're pretty stupid, but they see people with guns on a roof. They're like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to go. You're like, that's off limits. Yeah, I'm not going there. So, absolutely. So, they, the left, I don't know, maybe this was a moment of self-awareness from whoever collectively on the left is driving these crusades. I, don't, I can't imagine who it is or which group it is that is driving this narrative. One day just thought... Okay, we need to come up with this narrative that white people hate Asians now. Go, 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 go. But they saw this and said, okay, we have to counter this now. We have to really turn Asians against white people. And that's what led to this. It's very, very obvious that this is a coordinated media campaign in order to drive this narrative that Asian Americans are under attack, that there's massive hatred for Asian Americans out there, and that this hatred is fueled by right-wing rhetoric – like Donald Trump's rhetoric by calling the COVID the China virus. And what the, what's interesting is of all the different like non-white groups out there, people of Asian descent, specifically East Asian descent, are probably the most liked among white people. I would say, I mean, I've never heard any of any white person who just didn't like East Asians. Just because I mean, other than those who don't like China, which again, as we've established, is a different issue, right? But I, like even them, like I don't know of anyone who doesn't like China and doesn't like Chinese people because of that. Like n- nobody really dislikes people of Asian descent. Like what's their? I mean, they don't really they don't cause any problems. Like why why would you have anything against people of Asian descent? There's no reason to. But the media has been driving this narrative, and what they've been doing, of course, all throughout the time that when Trump was calling it the China virus, mainly out of his frustration. With the Chinese Communist Party for not containing the virus and leading him to believe that they had it contained. And the UN going out of their way to basically give China a pass for it. Right, right. So that was mainly out of of frustration with the CCP. But because Trump was doing that all through the last year of his administration, the media was claiming that this was leading to a rise in in anti-Asian hatred. But the the evidence for it is extremely slim, and it was you know they really it was almost as if they wanted there to be Asians so they could say look here we're vindicated, and the middle gymnastics that they go through to try to prove this point is just incredible. Like they don't even it, it's so sloppy. They have become so arrogant. They become extremely sloppy. And here's an example: there was an Uber driver out in California, San Francisco, from Nepal, and he, he took a video from his dash cam and posted online. It went viral because in his back seat there were two young black women and one young woman of Iranian descent, and. In the he they weren't one of them wasn't wearing a mask the the Iranian girl wasn't wearing a mask and so he pulled into a gas station station so she could buy a mask and she refused to buy a mask and she was saying oh masks don't work masks are useless and uh, you know we've all, he, she started coughing on him oh, and there's a video of course she's leaning over in the front seat coughing on him she said okay now you've got COVID and he laughs like he he finds it funny he laughs he chuckles but then she grabs his phone. And he gets mad. He says, you know, give me my phone back and everything. And he's struggling over the phone. They get out and off camera, apparently one of the black girls tried to pepper spray him inside the car. So they were eventually arrested. But the narrative on this was that this was a racist attack. Yahoo News runs the headline, Asian Uber driver coughed on pepper sprayed by racist riders in San Francisco. And the, the lead, an Asian Uber driver in San Francisco has filed police report a police report after being threatened and harassed by racist passengers on Sunday afternoon. Well, if you watch the video, there's nothing. How are they racist? They don't say anything about his race. 
I mean, if you look at the video, he looks white. Like you can't even tell that he's – I mean, if I saw the video, I would say he's probably white or Mexican. I mean, you can't really you can't really tell. But they claim that the writers – and he's got a medical mask on, so it's covering most of his face up. You can't really even tell what he looks like. But they're saying that the writers were threatening because they were racist. This is, But if you watch the video, it's very obvious that this is just like a youthful – this is just delinquents. These, these girls are just juvenile delinquents. Even though they're in their 20s, they're just juvenile delinquents. You know, They're stealing his phone. The stealing the phone wasn't even – and then they charged the girl with theft. It wasn't even really theft. It was mainly just a part of the assault. But this driver, this just to show you how bizarre this is, so he creates a GoFundMe because he couldn't go to work because he was so damaged psychologically from these three young women who grabbed his phone and were coughing on him. He decided to stay home. So a GoFundMe was created for him. I don't know if he created it himself or someone created it for him. But he raised $100,000 in donations to help him cope with his mental health after these three women coughed at him, grabbed his phone, and then sprayed pepper spray in the back window that didn't even that he didn't even breathe in. So he goes on camera. He makes a video with a Nepalese flag behind him, and this is from Vice. So his name is Subhakar Kotka. Says Kotka addressed his supporters in a video posted by Bannister to the GoFundMe page on Sunday. Sitting in front of a Nepalese flag, Kotka said he plans to use the money to help fund his son's education and make his parents' retirement beautiful. Quote, it was a really unfortunate event last week, and it has not been easy ever since, and I hope nobody has to go through that. The love and support and encouragement from the community and people from all over the world has helped me move forward and believe in humanity and justice. I would like to take this moment to thank everybody who helped me get this information out to the public so that we can fight this injustice and inhumanity and racism. Now, there's absolutely no way he decided on his own that what they did was racist. There's absolutely no way. I I would be willing to bet every penny I have that he did not come up with the idea to sit out to stop working, to sit at home on his butt and collect $100,000 in a GoFundMe campaign claiming that he was the victim of racism. Because what's interesting is the women that were arrested were identified as Arna Kimiai and Malaysia King. Malaysia King was black. Arna Kimiai, Kimiai is an Iranian name. So Kimiai can be seen ripping off Katka's mask, trying to steal his phone, and calling him an N-word. Now, I posted the video to our Minds page. It's a, it's a fairly short video. I don't I didn't hear her say that in the video. So unless there's footage that he posted somewhere else. Uh, Hang on. But you said this was – was this the Iranian girl or one of the black girls? So they claiming that the Irani- Iranian girl called him that. OK, because this could be – we talked about this in a previous episode with the Morgan Wallen story and the use of that word. That could have just been her using that word in the slang form, not necessarily calling him that. Right, not like, saying that makes it any better, but that could be why she was using that particular word. But yeah, and she's with two two black girls. The two right. black girls are her friends sitting yeah. in the back seat of the car. So I think that's what that is. She obviously just, yeah. isn't being racist. And besides, why would she call a man from Nepal that? Like I said, he looks white. So it doesn't. It's the same as like calling him homie, even though they're robbing him. Like, yo, a black guy will rob someone and call him homie as he's robbing him. Like, obviously, that's 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 the only thing I can think of here. In this right, point. right, right. But see, they're, they're arguing that this is anti Asian, the anti Asian hate. This is part of the the anti Asian racism that we're seeing. But that's not a racial slur that anyone uses toward Asians. So it, it the whole thing, like I said, they're getting so sloppy it doesn't make any sense. But the thing is, she's now facing additional. She, so they they charged both of them with battery, conspiracy to commit a crime. Violation of health codes for not wearing a mask. Kimiai faces an additional charge of robbery, and King faces an additional charge of assault with the caustic chemical after she pepper sprayed his car. Both women could be sentenced to several years in prison, which is 
ridiculous. I mean, obviously they're using these women as uh, as scapegoats. They're they're just they happen to have had the unfortunate of acting out their juvenile delinquency at a time when the media is trying to build a narrative that people of Asian descent are being targeted for racist hate crimes. Even though one of the girls, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Iran in Asia? I mean, Iran is an Asian nation, so you got an Asian who is coughing on an Asian Uber driver. And it, the whole thing doesn't make any sense. But like I said, there's becoming so sloppy. But like they said, they, you know, both women could be sentenced to several years in prison because they want to try to build a narrative. They've got to try to, you know, they, got, they want to throw the book at them. And Yahoo News put out an article today I read about the shooting in Atlanta. They interviewed a Mexican man who alleged, was allegedly detained by police for a few hours. And he was the husband of one of the victims. And he claims that it was because he said, I wonder if it was because I was Mexican. And they contacted the police department. The police department, I think, is on to it because they're like, we're not going to comment any further on this issue. We're focused on prosecuting the shooter. And so I think it's becoming more and more obvious to more people that the media is they do have an agenda. And Trump wasn't wrong to call him the enemy of the people. But more precisely, they are the enemy of white people. They're they're not the enemy. They're the enemy of Americans. They're the enemy of Americans, but in the sense they're they don't they're the enemy of Americans as it exists of America as it exists today. So they they're the the reason why they're the enemy of white people is because they need to rally non-white people. Like they're they're the best friend of non-white people who hate white people because their goal is to rally non-white people in a political coalition to defeat conservatives. Because like you mentioned that other uh, that wealthy white man who employed the illegal immigrant. He's going to go along with the system like most people with a lot to lose. White people who have a lot to lose socially and economically, they're not going to buck the trend. They're not going to buck the system because they see the way it's going and they fear the power of the media and they want their kids and grandkids to have a prestigious spot in the new America that the media is trying to create. And so the goal is to unite those white bleeding heart liberals or opportunists, if you will, with minorities who hate white people into a political coalition to completely silence conservatives because they can ram through any policy they want if they categorize the opposition as racist because that's all they have to do now. If they claim you're racist or white supremacist, okay, we'll back off this policy position and they can get anything they want to and get gun control passed. They can you know, completely federalize elections like they want to do with H.R. 1. They, they can pass – they can ram anything they want to pass, any legislation they want. They can pass all the affirmative action they want because if they've got the race card, if they've got you know, violence against all these minorities they can point to, then what, what kind of opposition are you going to impose? Yeah, and if I just want to say one more thing, too, to close this out, is that beyond that, it just it needs to be said once again how disgusting it is, something that more people should agree on, even beyond the sensitive racial, political, cultural lines, that once again the media is exploiting two mass shootings. Right, right. 18 people dead overall and many others injured. They're going out of their way to exploit death and destruction before the bodies are even cold. Just so that they can portray a narrative, whether it's, again, in the case of the first shooting, oh, white people and racism against Asians, or the second shooting, oh, the perpetrator doesn't fit our narrative, so therefore we're going to talk about the guns. Like, it's, it's just so disgusting. The media is, and the media has done this for centuries, they would sensationalize tragedies and murder, but it's just, it's just as disgusting now as it was 100 years ago. And we should always be willing to call them out for it. But even if you go back before uh, they became so racialized, you go back to 2014, 2015, 2016, whenever mass shootings occurred, they would spend a significant amount of time talking about the motive and the societal issues that we face as a country, like whether it's teen depression and like with this particular instance in Georgia, it was a sex addiction. So they would have actually had a real conversation about the problems of sex addiction in our country. 
but because or mental become, illness or anything else that causes these right, things. but because they become so racialized, everything is about race. They completely ignore these serious issues that we face socially that that allows young people to go crazy like this and commit mass shootings. That's not important anymore if it doesn't fit the political agenda. Right, and hopefully, again, it's been said before, it'll get a lot worse before it gets better. But hopefully sooner or later we can maybe start to bring back some sense of at least decency at the very least when it comes to covering these things and leaving these people alone for just a few days after it happens for the sake of the families and the survivors. That is all the time we have left for this episode of The Right Take, lucky number episode 13. We'll talk to you next time, guys.